0: Welcome to the next episode of the Reimagining Mobility Podcast. I'm here with Ken Kurnio. He's the department manager of mechanical design, or design. It uh, doesn't just have to be mechanical, I no, guess. It doesn't
1: have to be. doesn't have to
0: be, <laughs> Ken. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. That's so, um, AVL or the mechanical, or the design group, let's say, has transformed itself tremendously under your leadership over the last, let's say, three years. Tell us why, and tell us how has it transformed.
1: Well, I think the why is pretty obvious. the The whole market's changed. You know, we've switched from uh, ICE to so much more electrification that it's kind of forced us to to learn kind of new tricks. Right? You gotta you gotta kind of flow with it. So we've had to, yeah, develop new skills and learn new technologies. That uh, you know, a big part of the group. Maybe didn't have three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, we focused so hard on uh, internal combustion over the years. We had some electrification projects, but you know, big focus was always in internal combustion. So, mm. as we uh, as we moved into this technology, we've had to learn you know some new software. We've had to learn about uh, new requirements for the different uh, electrification components, things that you know. Again, in ICE, we didn't have to do, you know, we didn't do a lot of plastic components, say. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into much more plastic component design. And so mm-hmm. now you have to know what's it take to design a component for, you know, in plastics compared to aluminum or steel.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, it's a lot of different requirements. So, our, um, you know, we've, we've done some training. We've, uh, you know, outside and internal trainings that we have available to us. We've taken some of those to get people up to speed. We've run a couple R and D projects internally to help, you know, build the, the skill sets mm-hmm. w- with the people and the yep. team. So, you know, all those are great, great ways to get ex- some exposure and get ready for project work. And so, and then in the last two years, especially, you know, it's been, yeah, a major switch. And uh, most of our projects are electrification. So the guys have uh, had to pick some of that up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. How much did the global organization help? I mean, there's no secret to the fact that Europe focused or went to electrify not purely electric certainly hybrid for a very long time focus mm-hmm. from a propulsion system so we developed a lot of expertise and know-how there how much did that help you in training and re, re-educating retraining people right
1: yeah well we definitely took advantage of the uh, academy the avl academy trainings that were available so mm-hmm. that was developed mostly by Graz and we were able to take some of those trainings but even in project work you know knowing some of the colleagues over there where you can ask questions that's been a been a big help mm-hmm. um, both in design and and really a lot in the analysis side of things mm-hmm. you know utilizing their skills and having them help guide us a little bit on some of this yeah is very useful so yeah having that that global uh those global colleagues that you can reach out to and get support is great.
0: Okay. A conventional powertrain mechanical engineer makes a great electrification design engineer? Yes or no? And why? Yeah,
1: it's really very dependent on the individual, right? Mm. Some people can make that transition pretty easy. It just kind of depends uh, maybe the expanse of their background. You know, even though they were very much in, say, conventional technologies, some people have an interest in different areas, and they kind of learn things on their own even, right, and they can bring that to the table. Others others uh, maybe are just harder to make that transition. You know, they struggle a little more just to pick those things up. Um, but I think it is, it's is—it's really dependent on the individual. It, it, I can't just say that the whole group, you know, one has been one way or the
0: other. Mm-hmm. It's really, so it's a little bit of depending on the person, on the attitude yeah. he or she has towards electrification. Yeah, or I guess. just in learning, new in general. learning new you things. Learning new things. Some yeah. people
1: get pretty uh, pretty comfortable yeah, yeah. with a certain thing, sure. and they like that. And when you ask them to to pick up something new, it it, it can be a struggle for some yeah. people. You know, they yeah. like their little their little area that they know really well because they're comfortable. Yeah. So getting people out of that comfort zone, for some people, it's, it's a challenge, and for others they just go with the flow you know Mm. whatever whatever direction they need to go they'll go you know and they'll pick it up and uh so yeah
0: so what do you rather have then or who do you rather train to go into electrification somebody that has let's say five or ten years background in design on conventional or somebody that comes out of school specifically focused on design for electrification which one do you rather have forget for a moment the experience i know experience is obviously tremendously valuable but who would you have more well that's a tough question
1: um, you know i guess when you when you look at like young guys coming out of college kind of going into their first job they've spent that time you know knowing how to learn so to to some degree that can help because they've, they're already coming in in that mentality and wanting mm-hmm. to learn, learn, learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, the young guys can be maybe a little easier at picking some stuff up, you know, because maybe they've been exposed to that technology now for four mm-hmm. years in college, and so mm-hmm. they their mind's already in that direction. So sometimes it could be a little easier with those guys maybe to make the transition. Okay, um, but as you said, that the the experience that someone brings to the table, not necessarily in the technology, but just the general experience in design is a big contributor to how well someone does anyway mm-hmm. in general, you know, mm-hmm. and how well they can learn the new things. So <laughs> it's a tough question to really point to yeah. one or the other and say, it's the easier way to go. Um, cause there's advantages in either. So.
0: okay, If you had to explain to a layman, what, what does design mean to design department do in AVL? again we already talked about from batteries to enclosures maybe for e-motors to complete engine development the mechanical side or the design but but give us a little bit maybe a a high level overview what does design mean it can mean so many different things but for us as a mobility technology company what does it mean i i
1: guess the easiest thing you could say it is is it takes the ideas and turns them into real components right so it takes it I mean, it takes a team to come up with the concepts right mm-hmm. the overall for designing anything so you know when i design a battery pack there's a large group that goes into developing all the specifications or requirements for that battery pack but at some point now that all those specifications need to be turned into a real product and that's where design comes in mm-hmm. they come in and they're able to take those ideas and those specifications find the, the right components or design the right components and uh you know um, assemblies and subsystems to make that product a real handheld product Mm -hmm. and not just some idea you know so um and there's a lot of steps you know to again to know that you know figuring out from the specifications what do i need in the component materials um how detail of a design do we have to do on this you know it's all there's a lot of factors go into it but I mean just from a high level that's what the design department does mm-hmm. so we can take that idea turn it into a 3d concept design a 3d layout 2d drawings work with suppliers get parts get them in-house and now we have a product we have a, mm-hmm. a component a system and assembly that's used for whatever purpose it was intended for mm-hmm. testing um, Maybe it's a proof-of-concept design you're sending to your customer. Maybe it's going to be, you know, on the test beds. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. compared with five years ago, in your department design, how much more use of simulation technology do you use in your work doing designs?
1: That's an area we're just getting a little bit more into. We have a couple of tools available to us now that we didn't have in the past, Um So this is going to be a growth area for us this year most all pretty much all the analysis simulation work that's been done we've been working with the analysis team for that Mm -hmm. but now we have some tools available to us through our uh, design tools to be able to do some of that so we're going to look to get a couple guys trained up to be able to do some structural analysis we have some cfd flow analysis tools available to us now Mm -hmm. so we want to start doing some of that high level simulation and analysis work prior to sending that first model off to the analysis team so we think we can get a bit further down the road with some simpler tools to at least give the analysis team a good starting point Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because sometimes you know we can do design and we can have all the what we think are the right ideas um using the experience that the people have but you know sometimes you send that to analysis and it gets tore up pretty quick you know they do something and they're like uh, you know, that's not really right and then we're back kind of not to square one but sure it can happen yeah you know? uh, um so i think getting those tools available to us is going to help us get a little further down the road with that first that first iteration that we send to the analysis okay. team which should actually speed up their process maybe now they don't have to make three or four loops sure they might be able to get by with two loops yeah. you know and so if we can if we can save that time and that uh, that expense i think that's a great thing
0: mm.
1: so now it's identifying uh you know who to start with in the team who okay. are the guys we want to yeah. focus on and i have a couple of people that are very interested in doing that level of uh simulation analysis so that's probably where i'm going to start good. a little more of the senior level guys that have a good background yeah that are interested in doing it. So sure. that really helps, you
0: know? <laughs> As we talked earlier. Yeah. So Fessel, who runs our software and controls organization, I asked him the question, what are you gonna see in five years or so coming out of school, meaning causing a shortage or a large supply of, is it mechanical engineers or software engineers? And he gave me an answer. I'm not gonna reveal what it is. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you, if you were to advise me as a let's say high school graduate mm-hmm. and i'm debating between going into mechanical design or into software engineering i got a passion for both what would you advise me to do and why i think
1: <laughs> i think personally mechanical engineers are always going to be required Everything, has, everything comes to a product, something you're either going to ride in, handhold, something. There's a product there. That comes from a mechanical side. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to need a mechanical engineer for something. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they can be pretty diverse in the product and in the industry that they work in. Um, but you're always going to need a mechanical guy. Now, I, I realize you're probably always going to need software guys going forward as well. You know, software engineers are going to be critical to it because all the controls and all the things you have to do to set um, you know everything 's computer controlled anymore mm-hmm. to some degree no. so you need both, but I, I if a person really has a passion for both it's it 's a tough decision, but usually I think someone probably leans one way or the other, but I think you're going to need you 're going to need a good mix of both that going mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. i don 't think it, you know it's if we get too many people focused on software and nobody on mechanical. We'll have all the software written, but what they got? What are they going to? What's going to run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what yeah. is it going to run? Yeah. So, or how did they even put all the hardware together necessarily and design all the hardware that goes in and that that software can then interface? With, right.
0: You know? I mean, Fessel gave a similar answer. Yeah. Uh, he was much more both is important. He took a little bit more the um, let's say the politically correct <laughs> answer. You did not want to go one or the other. Uh, when I then asked him about, well, what's what are you going to have more in five years? And he said, oh, clearly software. Everybody wants to jump to software because, again, the industry, at least mobility, right, everybody talks about the software-defined vehicle and mechanical, which a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. you do as is design is mechanical, as you said, kind of becomes almost like, oh, well, yeah, that's going to be there, no big deal, but we need <laughs> software, right? And to your point... Uh, Tangible or intangible doesn't matter, both important, but software without hardware, hardware without software, in the future, and even today, is not going to do anything. Yeah, like neither one anything. Neither
1: <laughs> is going to do anything right. without the other. Yeah, right. They're very very intertwined. Yeah, um, Yeah. that's... <laughs> I don't know, I guess partially, again, my mechanical background for my whole life sure. kind of means sort of pushes me in that direction, yeah. I guess, a little more. But, uh, but yeah, they're both, like as you said, they're both very important. You can't have one without the other. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, that's, I think, the reality of things. And if, uh, you know, I realize with uh, ADAS technology and other things, there is a lot of work to do in software engineering. and yeah. all the, Everything that goes into feeding that software information so it knows what decisions to make. I mean, that's a complex... Yeah. That's a very complex situation there. Yeah, um, But... You know again it still needs a car sure <laughs> it still needs the hardware so yeah yeah
0: yeah in the propulsion technology space for mobility what's easier to develop in your mind and why a traditional or conventional engine gasoline engine six cylinder engine or let's say a battery and an e-motor or a battery and an e-axle so the Electrified propulsion system or the conventional propulsion system? What's, what's easier or what's more complex and why? It doesn't yeah, matter I mean, which way think, you want to go.
1: I mean, I think from a, a mechanical standpoint,
0: mechanical I, standpoint, I, mean, I would
1: yeah. say the electrified system is easier to develop. Okay. You know, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more controls and software that yeah. go into it. But when you consider just the sheer number of parts that go into designing an engine and uh, you know, a conventional powertrain, all these parts that have to work together you know, in an engine that all have to fit right. They all, you know, and the development it takes to make that happen is, is pretty complex. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of development, you know. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, all the OEMs, they can't say, well, I'm gonna start a new engine and uh in two years have it designed and in, in, in production. It just doesn't, even though they built hundreds of engines, right? There's just a certain amount of time it takes to get all of that development work done so that they know they have a reliable product that they can put to the market. Mm-hmm. And I think the electrified powertrains have quite a few fewer mechanical components and interfaces that have to deal with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, an E-axle has some gear sets, some bearings, things like that, but you're not talking about pistons and cylinders and and valves and the whole valve train. It's a lot of components and a lot of complexity and a lot of things that could be... and a little thing can make something go wrong mm-hmm. so i mean it, to that end I, I believe the electrified powertrain is a simpler to develop from a mechanical standpoint.
0: relatively speaking obviously yeah. relatively relatively speaking, speaking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: i mean it's not simple it's sure, still not yeah. an easy button all relative i get it yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy button and yeah. I go, well, here it is you know it still <laughs> takes time and you still have to go through the process of developing yeah. things um you know and simulations and analysis get you part part way there there's a lot of things you can do virtually now that maybe weren't being done say 10 years ago Mm -hmm. that can sort of shorten that time frame for either conventional or electrification but there's still a certain amount of real world hardware you have to build and test
0: yeah
1: yeah i think i don't i don't know i don't see that going away i mean not in my lifetime sure you know Uh,
0: okay maybe last question what do you see in your space in the department that you're leading right now design or even analysis that is under you as well mm-hmm. or simulation analysis but what do you see in your area changing in five years from today what's the biggest change that you see
1: uh, you know it could be it could be just the uh the ability of a lot of some of the tools that we use mm-hmm. you know and the manufacturing methods that we will be using i think five years from now
0: for building, for the, the, building the, the, the parts you're designing exactly yeah, uh-huh, i think uh-huh. you're
1: going to see you know, we're already seeing a shift, right? There's a lot of things can be done with 3D printing mm-hmm. of both plastics and metals and things like that. And I think that area is going to continue to grow. And it could be, you know, five, 10 years down the road, we could be getting a lot of parts done with that type of manufacturing method, mm-hmm. which is a different way of even us having to think about our design when we go that route. Okay. You know, and what, what kind of uh, information you need to put together so that someone can make the part. You know, kind of that... I don't know a couple decades ago you were starting to see that shift when 3d 3d uh, softwares became a big thing and every you know everybody's using 3d softwares and some manufacturing was starting to shift away from needing 2d drawings to make something from they can just do it from the 3d
0: part Mm -hmm, you know but mm -hmm.
1: um i think that just gets more and more and more as the shift in manufacturing technologies change okay
0: okay interesting okay Thanks, Ken, for your insight, very valuable. Sure. You did not fail against Fessel's answer, <laughs> so you're very much along the same lines. It's good, it's good to know. I think that's just how that works with, with degrees and with what the industry is demanding. Yeah. And, but again, recognizing that, to that point, mechanical can't do anything with the electrical, can't do anything with the software, they're all intertwined, I think is a, is a key piece. Yeah, it know? is.
1: The, yeah, that's not going to change. No.
0: Well, I agree. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Ken, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks
1: Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.